Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. Join us on Facebook at The Broadband Bunch and see the latest episodes, news, and photos. The Broadband Bunch, as always, sponsored by ETI Software. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Broadband Bunch. I'm Craig Corbin. Thanks so much for joining us. If you've been involved in the world of broadband during the past decade, chances are you're already very familiar with today's guest and his media company, Broadband Breakfast. In 2008, telecommunications attorney Drew Clark founded Broadband Breakfast as part of a broadband census crowdsourcing campaign. Clark has been one of the nation's leading voices in advocating for improved broadband mapping, as well as a national geospatial system for collecting broadband data. He is widely recognized for his acumen in telecommunications law and policy, and also serves as president of the Rural Telecommunications Congress. It is a pleasure to introduce the editor and publisher of Breakfast Media, LLC, Drew Clark. Drew, welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Hey, thank you, Craig. I, I thought I was the only one who liked double B alliterations, but Broadband Bunch uh, matches Broadband Breakfast in that way. Absolutely. And it is it is such a pleasure to to have you as a guest uh, on the podcast. We have been uh, longtime admirers of the work that you and your team uh, have done. Uh, it's phenomenal and so much for us to cover uh, during our conversation today. But for those who don't know you as well as uh, some of us uh, do, give us your background prior to starting Breakfast Media. Well, thank you for the question, Craig. Um, you know, I, I, I ran for city council in Orem, Utah in 2017. This is not the answer to your question. But for that campaign, Craig, I created a T-shirt. And on the T-shirt, I said, Drew Clark, journalist, lawyer, leader. And so that's kind of my simple framework for my career is as a journalist, as a lawyer, and as a broadband leader, someone who wants to bring people together and wants to help promote better broadband, better lives. That is, of course, our tagline at Broadband Breakfast. And before starting Broadband Breakfast, my career was basically as a journalist. I worked for uh, about 15 or more years, uh, direct daily journalism, uh, worked for companies including New York Times on the web, American Banker, uh, the Business Journal family, and uh, most uh, culminating, I guess, is with, um, before starting my own company, with National Journal, uh, one of the key Washington insider publications on um, politics, lobbying, and, uh, and, and uh, policy. Uh, so that's the journalist part. The, the lawyer part is, um, you know, getting a law degree, passing the bar, no, no easy task, I might say, but, but it, it can be done. I've done it, done it twice in two states, uh, <laughs> Illinois and Utah. And as, a, as an attorney, I work primarily on telecommunications matters. You kind of alluded to that at the top, uh, focused on helping 
public and private entities uh, get rights of way, get regulatory hurdles, uh, deal with transactions, uh, litigation as well over an array of topics. So that's that's the lawyer part. And then the leader part is probably the most interesting for your, your crowd. Uh, I, I started Broadband Census in 2008 because I began to see as a journalist uh, while working at National Journal how important broadband was for our our, our economic development, our social progress, our standing in the world and and not falling behind. Mm-hmm. And that led me to go, well, what's the best way to get broadband? We need to understand where it is. We need to have the data and the maps about broadband. And this may be a little longer story than you asked for, Craig, but I was working at the time at a nonprofit group called the Center for Public Integrity. Okay. We had a project tracking telecommunications policy. And I said, you know, we, we have to include broadband in this analysis. And you know what? The Federal Communications Commission has a database about where broadband is. It's called the Form 477 data. Let's get that. Well, we went to the FCC. We said, please give that to us. We filed a Freedom of Information Act request. They didn't respond within their deadline. And so we sued them. I love we it. said, we want the Form 477 data. Now, this led to a litigation, a lawsuit, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, protracted battle. Uh, the, the, the short version is we lost the battle, but we won the war because in the 2009 American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, there was specific language included. It took. It, it was from the Broadband Census for America Act that Ed Markey had represented. There was specific language included that said there will be a broadband map created with details about carrier availability uh, on a census block level. So, so that's you know jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, the, the 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 end of the lawsuit led me to say let's create a crowdsourced version of broadband data. Broadband Census was born. We created, collected data, conducted open source speed tests, all with the goal of getting better broadband information and better data. So this is now the last uh, section of your your answer here, Craig. (laughs) I love it. the, The work of Broadband Census brought me to the attention of Illinois Governor Pat Quinn. Perfect segue. Perfect segue. He had always been a huge advocate of the role of broadband, not just in rural prosperity, but statewide. And so uh, Quinn recruited me to come out to Utah, Utah, to Illinois. I'm getting ahead of myself, out to Illinois to run the Partnership for Connected Illinois. That was the nonprofit statewide entity responsible for broadband mapping, broadband planning, and broadband coordination among all of the providers that received funds under the Recovery Act and also broadband training, digital literacy. So it got me in this mindset that broadband is bigger than just A, infrastructure, uh, or B, its application use. It's about all of those things together. And that's kind of where the better broadband, better lives idea comes from, is that we need better infrastructure, but we also need the tools to make better use of it. And, and my experience at the Partnership for Connected Illinois really, I think, kind of prepared me to accelerate uh, all manner of, of progress in helping 
entities, public and private, throughout the country uh, uh, to, to, to build their higher capacity networks. Certainly. You know, that is such a great motto, better broadband, better lives, because that, that truly is something that, that people can very easily understand how that will affect them personally. And, and when I said perfect segue, when you were getting into your appointment uh, by uh, Governor Quinn, uh, I did want to to ask about your work in you know leading the the combined federal and state efforts with fiber optic work and the the wireless infrastructure investment. And you know you you also touched on digital literacy training. That's something that for many people is sort of shoved to the side, but is so essential. Talk about that if you would. Yeah, no, happy to, Craig. I mean, it it you know. One way of thinking about it may have come from the structure of the Recovery Act. Most of the funds went to infrastructure, middle mile projects, but there were also segments for planning and mapping, and and Partnership for Connect Illinois was a specific recipient of of those funds, but also training, digital literacy training projects, and and we we actually worked with the providers. Right, sometimes we had a little bit of a you know antagonistic, uh, uh, tense relationship because we were kind of pushing them, pushing them, give us the data, give us locations for where you're offering service. But they actually, most of them soon found that that was a benefit to to promote that information, to make it available and to learn where there were new markets, new opportunities uh, to advertise their services. So, so we actually ended up partnering with seven rural broadband providers in Illinois on one of the very first uh, pilot projects in the Federal Communications Commission's Lifeline program. Uh, They were, at that time, Lifeline, which is part of the Universal Service Fund, did not support broadband. It just supported plain old telephone phones, uh, telephone lines. But but as as it now supports broadband, and this was in 2012, 2013, this pilot project went into the kind of the the mix of, of efforts that that uh, FCC was looking at at the time in crafting the Lifeline expansion. And I mean, I, I, I could address a more specific question if you've got one, Craig. I mean, I, I do view digital literacy as essential. I view training, I view addressing this in a multifaceted way rather than just trying to say, let's get the infrastructure built and we'll figure out what we do with it afterwards. No, you have to approach it with the sense that you're getting this to be able to enable new applications you don't currently uh, have the ability to uh, use in the fullest extent at the moment. And that's something that in many cases you don't know what you don't know. And that's uh, that's where it's so important uh, with the training efforts um, uh, across the board. You made mention um, in your first response about losing the battle but winning the war with regard to the, the mapping uh, efforts. And that, that is something that has been uh, so much of a thorn for people uh, in so many aspects uh, of this industry, uh, knowing that there is a very simple way to get completely accurate data, but that it has not been, to this point, universally done. Uh, that's changing, and it is so essential, especially with regard to the distribution of funding that's available based on the map of who has or does not have service. Talk about how that has evolved since your initial efforts to get that mapping information. 
Well, thank you, uh, uh, Craig, for that question. Broadband mapping was, as I you know said in my intro, really the thing that brought me into this this space full full scale. Uh, and um, yes, it has continued to be controversial. I, I did a, a piece about this for broadband communities and also on Broadband Breakfast about mapping just about two years ago, almost two years ago. And I'd love to you know include it in your show notes, uh, the Absolutely. link to it. Um, what what uh, this article did is it kind of recapped the history and the debate as it stood right then and still stands. That is 2019 is when the Federal Communications Commission kicked off their latest iteration of mapping. It's called the Digital Opportunity Data Collection, and the proof is still in the pudding to see how it will it will um, uh, turn out. For this purpose and this discussion, Craig, let me just make this one point: the way you think about mapping and data depends on what you are trying to do. If you are just trying to collect data to tell a subscriber that, hey, I've got service, or even if you're just trying to collect data to figure out where to structure your subsidies, or if you're just trying to collect data to figure out whether broadband providers are living up to their promises, you're still not getting the full picture. Mm -hmm. Those are three vital and different elements for the way people think about mapping and broadband. There's a fourth one too, and this one is probably the one I've been more focused on, if you want to help communities and cities build high-capacity broadband networks, you need to know where the fiber is. You need to know where the access points are. You need to know how you're going to connect to those. And so broadband mapping needs to be viewed through a multi-part matrix where you're not just saying, oh, who has broadband check or not check? Well, first of all, the definition of broadband has changed, will change should change. Yes. Right now it's 25 megabits down, 3 megabits up. That's that's ridiculously Woeful. low. And, <laughs> and there's lots of moves to push it up. And there's lots of moves to talk about symmetrical. And look, I've said this for more than 10 years now, 12, 13, 14 years. We need to have a kind of a map where you can say, show me where you've got gigabit symmetrical service. Show me where you have 100 megabit symmetrical service. Show me where you have 25 megabit symmetrical service and so forth. Because those are going to be points where you want to understand so that you can, again, in all of those dimensions, access to, to existing providers, subsidization of rural providers, uh, holding providers to account for whether they're living up to their promises on speeds, and being able to build new networks. That's the heartbeat. That's the heartbeat. That's the way we're going to get better comp competition and better broadband is by having more providers who want to go out and compete with the current ones. So anyway, I'm, now you've got me going here on, <laughs> on, on where, where mapping hits right. the, 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 the purpose for which we need it. That is to say, how are we going to get better broadband and better lives through better mapping? Absolutely. You're listening to The Broadband Bunch, our guest, the editor and publisher of Breakfast Media, LLC, Drew Clark. And Drew, before we jump into... Uh, the the breakfast media uh, portion of our conversation. I do want to touch on, again, uh, your role as president of the Rural Telecommunications Congress, which co-hosts the annual Broadband Community Summit. Uh, tell us how that all evolved. Well, that started from my work in Illinois uh, with uh, the Partnership for Connected Illinois. Uh, originally, it was primarily uh, state broadband 
leaders uh, around the country that that got together and and revivified that organization. RTC actually has a very long and storied history of, of uh, 24 years, uh, and I've only been involved for for 10 or, 10 or so of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it is a, a great group and community of people, and and we are passionate about rural connectivity. I got passionate about that in my work in Illinois. I continue to be passionate about it. Uh, as, as, as I kind of alluded to, I, I moved from Illinois to Utah to, to work with a variety of broadband networks in the state. And, and now I'm, I'm back in Washington, D.C., which is where uh, Broadband Breakfast is based. And, and I guess what I would say about RTC is it's, it's an important contributor to the discussion about rural broadband. And that's a piece of the puzzle that simply can't be neglected as we try to get uh, that better broadband everywhere in the country. More important now, Drew, than than ever. And I, I think you would agree with that. Um, we've talked so much um, in, in the introduction uh, about uh, Breakfast Media, LLC. Uh, the broadband breakfast came into being in 2008, and uh, it has been a phenomenal resource of information uh, in the industry. And I know that you have had some really enjoyable conversations throughout uh, your time with that. But uh, with regard to being a, a source of information, give those who are not familiar with Broadband Breakfast all that encompasses breakfast media. Sure. No, I'm very happy to do so. And let me talk about it in the, the present tense. We're happy to kind of address questions about the past. I mean, in some ways, we've, we've had all of these kernels and germs within us, but but they're getting to be much, much more fully realized. And we're extremely proud of our trajectory and where we, we are, are going. I would say that the core components of Broadband Breakfast are uh, news and information, uh, events and connectivity, uh, and mm-hmm. membership and community. And so let me just take each of those, right? Absolutely. So the the news uh, and and information and analysis is part of the core of what we've been doing all along. We uh, we cover broadband infrastructure and adoption and use, uh, and we we interpret that pretty pretty broadly. That is to say, it's not just about how we get the fiber networks, how we get the wireless networks. Uh, but how we use them, what they're used for, the telemedicine, the uh, telework, the distance learning, the remote education, the um, civic connectedness, uh, the, the, the rules of the road, the net neutrality issues, even privacy issues, and increasingly, the, the whole debate about social media and its role in our society through Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, we cover both the infrastructure and the applications in use and, and have from the start and, and, and are really focused on advancing the discussion through our reporters on our team and our, and our editors uh, help to, to drive that conversation. We, we like to see ourselves, maybe we aren't quite there yet, but like to see ourselves as kind of the, the, the publication of record on broadband policy and internet technology. So, so we want to, to be uh, in the places and uh, online where those things are covered through our news. And, and it is all free. The resources, the, the news and information on Broadband Breakfast are available for free. 
we also have our events, okay? And so again, we, we've been doing this from the start. In fact, uh, uh, you know, we've talked about how broadband census was what I started in 2008. Right. Uh, pretty soon moved into the Broadband Breakfast Club. And the Broadband Breakfast Club was, was an actual gathering point. Now, this has been stalled by the pandemic, so we're not meeting in person right now. You're doing the next best thing, though, right? Well, well, actually, we're going to meet soon. And that's what I'm trying to get to, Craig, is that Broadband Breakfast as a media community brings people together. We do this through our Broadband Breakfast live online events every Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern time. We do this through a conference that we host every year in con- conjunct with the Broadband Community Summit. Our conference is called Digital Infrastructure Investment. That will be on September 27th this year. We do this through um, special events and engagements we do in rural communities. For example, we've worked with Rural Telecommunications Congress mm-hmm. on bringing many town halls to rural communities to host broadband-related events. And we're going to we're going to launch the Broadband Breakfast Club again. Excellent. Which is an in-person. It's going to be a lunch, though. So it's going to be a little disappointing for people. They're going to come to a broadband lunch. <laughs> Where are my scrambled eggs? So we just combine our groups, broadband bunch and broadband breakfast, and you have broadband brunch. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You, 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 Drew, you talked a, a moment ago about all of the the news that is available at broadbandbreakfast.com. And my goodness, as as we speak right now, uh, your 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 top story deals with the FCC launching the emergency broadband benefit program, and then in the broadband roundup, Alabama dispenses 17 million in broadband funds, and then uh, there are easily two dozen stories just on the uh, the first page there that are a, it's a treasure trove of information that is vital for those who want to stay up to date on what's happening. Uh, a huge attaboy to you, your staff, for the way you have embraced being the conduit for this information, because it's vital for those in the industry to stay abreast of what's going on. Uh, Tremendous job that you're doing. Uh, I'm curious from the standpoint of, uh, it's obvious that you have the passion to, to drive this, but I'm curious from your perspective, what you see from your staff on how they have come to to know and love, if you will, the world of broadband. Talk about that, if you would. Sure, sure. Um, we and and I, I I will talk about that, and I will lead into the, the 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 third element that I didn't quite get to, which is the news I mentioned, the events I've talked about, and membership, mm-hmm. which is a new field that we are launching this month in May and June for all those who want to get more and have more connection to Broadband Breakfast. So uh, we have a staff that is small, but committed, you know, lean and mean, if you will. Love it. Uh, we, we are focused on the reporting, the analysis of the information. And I mean, Craig, just to your question in particular, uh, a lot of the reporters we bring on do not necessarily come on board with a complete or even maybe a, a, a uh, substantial knowledge of broadband, right? I mean, 
in some ways, this is part of our society and culture. And everyone knows about, you know, Facebook and Google and mm-hmm. uh, broadband. Uh, you know, the word is not unfamiliar to people, but but there's clearly a whole world of policy and technology and activism behind it. And so what we're doing when we have uh, new people on our reporting team is training them in both broadband and in journalism, right? And so they're learning both of those things together. And so, you know, we've got a a team of uh, uh, editors and reporters. We have a membership director for our new, newly launched uh, Broadband Breakfast Club. So Excellent. you can be a member of the Broadband Breakfast Club. And for a limited time, for this uh, period of, of during our founders launch here in, in May and in June, we are offering monthly memberships at the low price of $49 a month. And just go to broadbandbreakfast.com slash join, broadbandbreakfast.com slash join to find out more about how you can become a member of the Broadband Breakfast Club and get the additional information and guidance you need to get better broadband and better lives in your circumstances. And what a phenomenal uh, investment opportunity there. You talk about return on investment, a uh, very high ROI with, uh, with that. And uh, I would strongly encourage those uh, who are listening to uh, to take advantage of that tremendous offer? Um, obviously, there is so much to cover uh, that w- that we would love to have in this conversation. We, I don't know that we have time to even begin touching on policy. Let's let's try to find time uh, in the in the not too distant future to have you back, and we can begin talking about some policy topics. But uh, one thing that we always like to ask our guests. Uh, especially those that uh, have invested a number of years related to the industry. Uh, Sort of the the back to the future question. If you could hop in the DeLorean, take yourself back and whisper something in your ear at some point in the past that would have sped up uh, the progress that you've made or changed or altered the path, the trajectory of broadband uh, breakfast, what would that be? Boy, you're, you're making me think. I, I was. I thought you were going to ask uh, if I were like a, a policy change that 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 someone had made differently. Um, uh, you're asking me for for uh, to, to tell my prior self. Uh, I mean, look, things take time, Craig. I mean, you know, I, I I watched this this great you know movie on Netflix not too long ago. Netflix, of course, being an idea would be impossible without broadband. Indeed. Mm-hmm. The very idea for Netflix uh, started off as broadband, and because it was so slow getting to America, uh, the, the founder shifted gears and did a CD, a, a, you know, DVD distribution via mail for for you know six to, to ten years before coming back to broadband. But anyway, this made for Met Netflix movie, uh, the founder about Ray Kroc and McDonald's, and of course the joke is that he's not really the founder. He he just licensed the concept from the McDonald's brothers of, of uh, San Bernardino. And did but, okay. But in it, there's, there's a line there, e- either Ray Kroc or someone else says, yeah, McDonald's, it's an overnight success 20 years in the making. Right? I go. mean, so, so even anything that, that to us appears to be coming out of nowhere as a success, it takes time. It just takes time to 
build something, grow something, and you just have to stick with it. And this has changed forms in, in over time, but the mission is always, as I said, about getting better broadband, better lives, providing the news and information that our readers need, the events that make sense and connect people, and the membership that will give you access and awareness of what you need to advance your journey towards uh, better broadband and better lives. That's that's a great answer. And and the flip side of that, obviously, is to to pull out the crystal ball and look into the future. Um, what do you see uh, in the, in the quest for better broadband, better lives uh, across the country? The the huge challenges uh, for connectivity, the digital divide in so many places. Well, I am very happy to answer this one because I am super excited for the next 10 years of broadband. Why? Well, we are going to need to make a sea change in the way broadband networks are envisioned, financed, constructed. I am a fan, I am a proponent that the vertically integrated model where one company owns the network physical network, real property, operates the network, interconnections, hubs, access points, and offers the services, the access, the internet access, those days are numbered. Where that single company model of ownership, of operating and services is not going to continue. We are going to see that break apart. We are going to see one company or types of company and I think this is where municipalities mm-hmm. have a super strong play or rural co-ops or, you know, private companies, nothing against those. The point being, there's a physical real estate dimension to broadband access that is really important for the locality and the community to be involved in. So if there's an ownership level at one, you know, end of the uh, end of the, the, the chart, and then you've got operators in the middle often open access network operators Bingo. who are built who are taking these networks and and they're owned by someone else but they're operating them they're making those networks work now in in, in overseas you know this is not a strange or foreign concept this 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 three-tiered open access model is quite common it's just not common as common here in the United States and so if you've got one entity that's owning another entity that's operating the network with multiple service providers, we're going to start to see all kinds of services we don't see because so much of our, our thinking on this is, is sort of stilted and warped by, you know, the notion of a single company owning all layer, all layers of this, this network. And that doesn't need to be, we are changing the paradigm. And that's what I expect to see a lot, lot more of in the next 10 years. And it's why I'm super excited to be leading this effort at broadbandbreakfast.com to make sure people understand how easy it is to help your community get to that kind of connectivity. I love that answer. I love the passion because in the end, it's the consumer, the end user that wins with that approach. And I can't wait, Drew, for the next time that we get together uh, here on uh, the Broadband Bunch 
and expound more on open access, more on policy. Uh, It's going to be great. This has been a wonderful visit. I have enjoyed it so much. A big thank you to you and your team for what you do at uh, Broadband Breakfast. And thanks so much for sharing that with us. My pleasure. It's great to be with you and to hear about how you are approaching this and how we can combine and help everyone get to that uh, better broadband and better lives. Absolutely. That's going to wrap up this edition. Thanks so much for letting us be a part of your day. We'll see you next time right here on the Broadband Bunch. So long, everyone.